What is going on sports fans and welcome to Season 3, Episode 5 of the Jack of All Trades Sports Podcast presented by Anchor. And we've got quite the show for you today. The NBA playoffs tipped off and they're in full swing. We break down every series so far. Every series is through Game 1. I will make my picks for each series and tell you what I saw from Game 1 that makes me more confident in my pick or less confident in my pick. We also got some MLB talk the MLB is in full swing as well about a quarter of the way through the season I tell you which teams look good for the playoffs which teams look bad for the playoffs and where do the Indians fall in that mix and also NHL playoffs and much much more but first this episode as always is brought to you by Anchor Anchor the easiest way to make podcast creation tools editing tools everything you need to create your very own podcast is at Anchor so if you want to create your very own podcast download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Today is Monday, May 24th. Let's go. Hello, everybody, and welcome back in to Season 3, Episode 5. We're staying alive here at the Jack of All Trades Sports Podcast presented by Anchor. I'm the man, the myth, the host with the most, too sweet to be sour at the top of the hour. It's your man, Jack Bernie. We got great sports talk to give you today, but first, a little update on the podcast. So... I'm interning this summer with the AA affiliate of the Cleveland Indians, the Akron Rubber Ducks. I'm in a media production role as an intern with them, which means I'll be working most of their home games, most of their home stands, which means I might be only might only be able to put this podcast out either every other week or staggered. So like I know I used to record every Tuesday during the NFL season right after Monday Night Football. It won't be that consistent of a recording schedule, but we are still going to put out an episode every one and a, I, I would say every one and a half weeks. Sometimes it might be one week. Sometimes it might be two weeks. Sometimes if I'm free, so say like I don't have, it, sometimes it might be two episodes a week. So we just got to be flexible with your listening schedule, but don't worry. We are still going to have some great content coming out this summer, both here, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, just in the podcast itself, and also on our Instagram, at Jote Sports Pods. So be sure to follow me on Instagram, at Jote Sports Pods. Follow the podcast on Instagram, at Jote Sports Pod, so you are updated on the recording schedule and so you don't miss a thing. You can also, I believe... um. Follow the show on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and I believe you can click a notification button either on those two as well and on Anchor, so you get uh, notified from the app every time a new episode comes up as well. But enough about me. Let's get to sports, which is what you guys came here to listen to, came here to, to, to hear about. So we'll start with the NBA playoffs because I've been dialed into the NBA playoffs Um and it, they've been really entertaining so far. So let's start with the play-in. Last time I talked to you, I was talking about the play-in positioning. And the play-in tournament is here to stay, ladies and gentlemen. 
the 7 versus 10, 8 versus 9. I don't know if it's going to be that format. My opinion, it should be one single elimination game between the 8 and the 9 team, and the winner gets that last spot in the playoffs. I still think the ratings would be through the roof, and I think a sing single elimination game is better than a game where the loser still has another chance to make the playoffs. That's just my opinion. But the 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 playing tournament came and went. The East playing tournament was kind of chalk. The 9... The 7 and 9 seeds won, and then the 8 seed beat the 9 seed. So the Celtics and the Wizards made the playoffs in the end. The Western Conference was a little more interesting. So the Grizzlies and Ja Morant beat the Spurs 196 close game. Then later that night, the Lakers, LeBron, Anthony Davis, woke up in the second half against the Steph Curry and the Warriors. They held off the Warriors by 3. LeBron hit a ridiculous 32-foot 3-point shot. In the closing minutes, but with about 55 seconds left, it was right after he got hit in the face on a foul by Draymond Green. And LeBron, after the game, said he, first off, he hit the shot and he told Steph Curry he couldn't see. Then after the game in his interview with Rachel Nichols, he said, I saw three rims and I was aiming for the middle one. And LeBron had a triple-double in that game with 22 points. And the Lakers bested the Warriors. But then everybody, including myself, thought, all right, the Warriors lost to the Lakers. It sucks, but they're going to get a chance to play on Friday night, and they're going to beat the, the Grizzlies inevitably, right? That did not happen because Ja Morant is for real, ladies and gentlemen. And I know Zion Williamson gets all the hype from that draft class, but should we start talking about Ja Morant as potentially the best player from that draft class? That's all I'm going to say. I don't want to get uh, put out too hot of a take. I think Zion Williamson is a certified baller. The man dropped 27 points and 7 rebounds as an average this year. But John Morant led his team to the playoffs. Won two straight games to get there. Beat the two-time MVP, three-time champion Steph Curry to get there. And he outplayed him and went toe-for-toe -toe with him. John Morant scored 35 points, 6 rebounds, and 6 assists Friday night against the Warriors in the play-in tournament. He outdueled Steph Curry. Steph Curry did score 39 points, but it was not enough as the Warriors fall 117-112 to 112 in overtime. Another big shout-out on this Grizzlies team. One goes to Jonas Valanciunas, who just is a double-double machine. And another one I would give to Dylan Brooks. He had 14 points, but he guarded Steph Curry the majority of the game. But I know Steph, it says Steph had 39 points, but he was getting blanketed by Dylan Brooks the whole game, and Steph did not shoot a high percentage. Steph could have gone off for 50 if any other Grizzly was guarding him, but Dylan Brooks put his hands on the floor, slapped the floor, and said, come at me, two-time MVP, and I'm Dylan Brooks, and then I'll show you what I got. And the Grizzlies... Take the playing game, knock out Steph Curry and the Warriors, make it to the playoffs as the 8th seed. So the playoffs are set, and game 1 of each series is complete. Let's go through each series and talk about it. Starting with the Bucks and the Heat, a rematch of uh, the semi Eastern Conference semifinals last season when the Heat beat the Bucks in 5. A little bit, It was a little bit of a surprising upset. The Bucks were the number 1 seed in the East. And the Heat just went into the bubble and beat them in five straight games. Almost swept them. They're up 3-0. But this year, is not, that's not the case. I think it's going to be a seven-game series. I, th I fully expect this to be a seven-game series. Because 
I think the Heat and the Bucks are two evenly matched teams, and I think this is the most evenly matched series in the playoffs right now. First off, let's give my pick. I'm going to pick the Bucks in seven in this series because I think Giannis Antetokounmpo is going to have to show up in this playoffs, and I think the addition of Drew Holiday to this Bucks team gives them a slight edge over the Miami Heat. So I'll take the Bucks in seven, but man, oh man, I was confident in bu about Bucks in five going into the series, and after watching that game one, I'm not as confident in Milwaukee as I was because Jimmy Butler is a closer. He's a killer in crunch time. He's got the Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan clutch gene in crunch time. Bam Adebayo did not have his best game on Saturday, and if he hits his averages, the game isn't close, and I expect him to hit his averages. And look at guys like Goran Dragic and Duncan Robinson. Goran Dragic put up 25 points. Duncan Robinson put up 24 points. If Bam Adebayo, Kendrick Nunn, guys like that can hit their averages, and Jimmy Butler, Duncan Robinson, and Goran Dragic play the same way they did on Saturday against Milwaukee, it's going to be a tough series, and it's going to be a, a sweaty palms time nail-biting series for Milwaukee against this Miami Heat team, which I would not have expected going into this, this playoffs. I thought it was going to be a five-game series going into this playoffs. Now, I fully expect it to go seven, but Milwaukee did take game one behind Giannis. Giannis had 26 points and 18 rebounds. Chris Middleton had 27 points and 6 rebounds, 6 assists. Chris Middleton had the game winner in overtime, 109-107. He uh, took an iso ball, and Chris Middleton did not even give anybody else a look. He went into the lane to the elbow and took a nice little jumper and gave Milwaukee the win. They also got guys like Brooke Lopez putting up 18-8 and, and Drew Holiday putting up 20 points and 11 rebounds. So the Bucks win 109-107 in game one in overtime. I like the Bucks in seven, but I would not be surprised if this Miami Heat team does win this series. All right, series number two is another really close series. The Dallas Mavericks and the Los Angeles Clippers. The Mavericks took game one against the Clippers in Staples Center, 113-103. to Dallas leads the series 1-0, and that was largely due to the efforts of Luka Doncic, who is absolutely one of the best players in the NBA. I think he's the second best player in the Western Conference. The best player in the Western Conference, not named LeBron James, is Luka Doncic. Doncic put up 31 points, 10 rebounds, 11 assists, a triple-double, he was just absolutely remarkable. The The Mavericks also got good performances from Kristaps Porzingis. He had 14 points. Uh, Dorian Finney-Smith had 18 points. Jalen Brunson had 15 points. And Tim Hardaway Jr. had 21 points. The Clippers, man, I don't know what to say about the Clippers, dude. I just, every year I think it's going to be different with Paul George in the playoffs. And every year I'm proven wrong. I think this Clippers team should be favored to come out of the Western Conference right now. But I can't do that because of how they played. Kawhi Leonard had 26 points, 10 rebounds. Paul George had 23 points and 6 rebounds and 5 assists. And besides those two, nobody really showed up. Paul George started off 1 for 7 in this game. He's going to need to come out uh, shooting better if the Clippers want to win this series. With that being said, I'm going to take the Clippers in 7. 
Um, I think Luka Doncic is the best player in this series, and I think he is going to show that and put up virtuoso LeBron-esque performances in this series. But at the end of the day, I do trust Kawhi Leonard and Ty Lue and Paul George to kind of put it together because I don't think they're going to be a first-round exit. So I'll take the Clippers in seven. But man, oh man, if this Dallas team gets a consistent play from Kristaps Porzingis, or if they somehow get another star in free agency, the Mavericks are going to win the title in the next three years because Luka Doncic is that dude. He is a complete player. He is one of the most fun players in the league to watch. And man, oh man, he's got a bright future. And so does this Dallas team. But I'll take the Clippers in seven because I trust Kawhi Leonard. And I think the Clippers still have the better team in this series, even though the Mavericks have the better player in Luka Doncic. All right, series number three. I think it's going to be a five-game win for the Brooklyn Nets because who's going to beat this Nets team? If they're healthy, who's going to beat this Nets team? I don't know. I'll take the Nets in five. They beat the Celtics in game one, 104-93. They trailed by six at halftime, and they won by 11. Kevin Durant, 32 points, 12 rebounds, 39 minutes. Kyrie Irving, 29 points, 6 rebounds, 37 minutes. James Harden, 21 points, 9 rebounds, 8 assists in 36 minutes. Those three are three of the top 15 players in the league. Who's going to beat this Nets team? Especially with Kevin Durant. score, like, like Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving both put up almost 30 points. And James Harden, yeah, he only scored 21, but he nearly had a triple-double. James Harden is the engine that makes this Nets team go. I've said that before. But Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are two of the best offensive players in the league today, but in the league history, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, two of the best scorers. James Harden, one of the best all-around offensive players the league has ever seen. This Nets team is one of the most talented teams ever, and they've had really bad games from Joe Harris. Well, I wouldn't say really bad. Joe Harris just didn't hit his averages. He only had 10 points, 3 rebounds. Blake Griffin only had 1 point and 3 rebounds. And then Jeff Green, who played 27 minutes too. He had three points and four rebounds. And they still won by 11, despite those guys not hitting their averages, because Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden are just better at basketball than the majority of people on the planet, and they can just go out there and show it when they need to. The Nets kind of felt out the first half. They were down by six, and then they said, yeah, we have three of the top 15 players in the planet. What are you going to do about it, Boston? And they beat, they beat the brakes off the Celtics in the second half. And I feel like they're going to be able to do that all series. And I just don't expect it to be a series. I will give the Celtics one game in the series because I expect Jason Tatum to go off and score maybe like 41 points in one of these games and will the Celtics to one victory. But they're not going to win more than one game against this Brooklyn Nets team. Brooklyn will advance swiftly to the next round. All right, moving on. Trailblazers Nuggets. I guess this would be my first upset pick. But I don't really think it's an upset with, with the Nuggets not having Jamal Murray. So I'm going to take the Trailblazers in this series. I'll take the Trailblazers because I said it just I just said it about the Nets. I'll take the Trailblazers in six. And I just said it about the Nets. They have two, two guys in Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum who can light it up whenever they want to. Who can absolutely light up a gym whenever they want to. And put up video game NBA jam numbers whenever they want to. Damian Lillard 
dropped 34 points, 13 assists in 40 minutes. CJ McCollum, 21 points, 6 rebounds. He even had Carmelo Anthony torturing his former team, the Denver Nuggets. 18 points and 4 three-pointers. This Blazers team, they're scary. And I always like to pick the Blazers in the playoffs. Because they have Damian Lillard, who's probably one of the top 5 offensive players in the league. And I think... I think I I think he can take over games with his offense sometimes. And I think he could take over series with his offense sometimes. And we saw it happen against the Denver Nuggets on Friday night. Saturday night, excuse me. And the Nuggets, no disrespect to them. They had a great regular season. They're a great team. They got some great players. If they had Jamal Murray, I would pick them to win this series in five games. They don't have Jamal Murray, though. And besides Nikola Jokic, I don't know how consistent their number two option is going to be. Nikola Jokic dropped 34 points and had 16 rebounds. But he didn't have his assist numbers because there weren't many guys scoring besides him. Yeah, you can say uh, Michael Porter Jr. dropped 25 points and 9 rebounds. But only three of those baskets were off in assists. Aaron Gordon, 16 points, 8 rebounds. Besides that... Only one other guy scored in double figures, and that was Monte Morris with 10 points. The Nuggets need more consistent um, offensive performances from the guys not named Nikola Jokic, and they need Nikola Jokic to be able to hit his averages, not just in points and rebounds, but in assists, because their offense is at their best when Nikola Jokic is playing that point guard position and being the facilitator of that offense, and not only creating his own shot, but creating shots for his teammates. And that's why I think Denver has a disadvantage in this series. Not only that, not only because they're not going to get into their offensive sets quicker, but because Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum can light up a scoreboard whenever they want to. And Denver, outside of Nikola Jokic, does not have an option that can do that consistently. Wizards 76ers, the 1 8 series in the Eastern Conference. Joel Embiid versus Russell Westbrook, two of the most entertaining players in the league. But at the end of the day, I think this is going to be a 76ers sweep because Joel Embiid is the most dominant player in the league right now. If he catches the ball in the block, the Wizards are, you have whoever's playing him, whether it be the Wizards, whoever they get next round, if it's New York or um, Atlanta, whoever it may be. Every time Joel Embiid catches the ball on the block, you need to send two guys at him immediately. Because if you don't, he'll school you and eat your lunch money. Eat your lunch. He'll steal your lunch money, eat your lunch right in front of you. And he'll go for 25 points in the paint. If But the thing that makes Embiid and the Sixers team so dangerous is if you do send two guys at him on the block, they'll have Ben Simmons, the 6'10 guard, on the other block. And Embiid can just throw a lob up, and Simmons is 6'10", that's an easy two points, he'll dunk it down. They're so hard to guard. And they won this game by 7, the Sixers won game 1 by 7, 125-118. And Ben Simmons only had 6 points, but he had 15 rebounds and 15 assists. He's still a very complete player. Joel Embiid had 30 points and 6 rebounds, and Tobias Harris... Give him his flowers. He had 30 points and 6 rebounds, a playoff career high. If Tobias Harris has given you 37 points, you have no hope in this series, which is why I'm taking the 76ers in four games in a sweep. Seth Curry is was given the, the Wizards buckets too. He had 15 points on the night as well. 
And they all and the other thing that makes Joel Embiid so dangerous is they have shooters on this team. They have Seth Curry and Danny Green, who are knockdown, spot up corner three shooters. And Embiid, when he catches the ball on the block and gets doubled, if you're gonna send a guy at Ben Simmons, like I suggest you do, that takes away three defenders. And that means those guys like Seth Curry and Danny Green are gonna be open for wide open threes. That's why I'm taking the Sixers in four games and that's why I think the Sixers are a dangerous threat to get to the NBA Finals in the Eastern Conference and for the Wizards if you want to have even a slight chance of taking some games in the series you're going to need better performances from Russell Westbrook Bradley Beal showed up he had 33 points 10 rebounds and 6 assists Russell Westbrook had 16 points 14 assists and 5 rebounds well below his averages in every category besides rebounds I mean, besides assists. He needs to hit 20 points. He needs to get a triple-double like he averages for the Wizards to have a chance in this series. It also doesn't help that the, that, um, the, the Wizards shot 55% and lost. Like, that's nuts. They played pretty well. They out-rebounded the Sixers. They had the same amount of, uh, of assists as the Sixers. They, they did turn the ball over 15 times, but the Wizards played about as perfect as a the game they could have played in Game 1, and they still lost by 7. That's why I'm taking the Sixers in a sweep. Alright, three more series to get through. Lakers, Suns, oh boy, ladies and gentlemen. LeBron James has never lost a first-round series, but I'm worried. Before this, I thought the Lakers would win in 5. After this Game 1... I think the Lakers will win in seven. And I don't feel that good about that pick. DeAndre Ayton of the Phoenix Suns deserves his flowers. He Not only did he have 21 points and 16 rebounds, he turned Anthony Davis into a non-factor on the offensive side of the ball. The Lakers were minus 18 with Anthony Davis on the floor. Minus 18. Anthony Davis only had 13 points and 7 rebounds. And he got hand he got his lunch eaten by a second-year player named DeAndre Ayton. 21 points, 16 rebounds. DeAndre Ayton, the number one pick in a class with Luka Doncic and Trey Young. The butt of so many jokes. He showed up and put his nuts on the table and showed that he can go toe-to-toe with Anthony Davis at least for one game. And it's up to and the Lakers have their back against the wall right now. Devin Booker also deserves a round of applause. In his first playoff game, Devin Booker, 34 points, 7 rebounds, 8 assists. Chris Paul, I know Chris Paul didn't have the stats. He only had 7 points and 8 assists. But he was a warrior. He played 36 minutes despite almost getting injured in the first half. But the the Phoenix Suns, man, they have a lot of talent. They won 99-90. They pretty much dominated the Lakers in this game. I know it was only a nine-point game. and The Lakers did cut it to three at one point in the fourth quarter. But the Suns were up by as much as 15 points in this, in this first game. DeAndre Ayton did a great job on Anthony Davis. And Devin Booker was the most dominant player on offense in this first game. The Lakers need better contributions from their stars. Anthony Davis. You need to wake up. You are one of the top 10 players on this planet. You're 7 feet tall. One of the most gifted power forwards ever. 
You were expected to take over this Los Angeles Lakers team after LeBron James eventually retires. After LeBron James eventually retires, Anthony Davis is going to be that dude on the Los Angeles Lakers. You can't put up 13 points and 7 rebounds in the playoffs and expect to be that dude. 13 points minus 18 with you on the floor? That is unacceptable, Anthony Davis. You're one of the top 10, top 5 players in the league. You're probably the best, one of the better big men. I would say the second best, third best big man behind Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic. Prove it. Show them why. Show them that last year in the bubble was not a fluke and that you can actually perform in the real NBA playoffs. He needs to be better. He said it after the game. Anthony Davis said, with me playing the way I did, we won't win a game, let alone this, ser- let alone this series. And he's absolutely right. He needs to wake up. So does LeBron. LeBron, I know LeBron got his 18.7 rebounds and 10 assists. He almost had a triple-double. But LeBron needs to hit his averages. LeBron needs to score 25, 30 points in this series. With that being said, I'm being a little hard right now on LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Being a little hard on them. Because they were not as bad as Andre Drummond. Who couldn't move his feet. Andre Drummond was in Cleveland. I had the chance to watch him. He's a nice guy, great guy. He's not the guy I want to be in my starting center in the NBA playoffs. Why is Marcus Saul not getting any minutes for this Los Angeles Lakers team? He's a better offensive option than Andre Drummond. And you can say Andre Drummond got 12 points and 9 rebounds all you want at me. But did you watch the game? Did you watch his footwork? He was not doing anything. He catches the ball. He catches the ball in the low block, and he'll miss like two times, and that's why he gets good rebound numbers, because he gets his own rebound. Then he'll kick it out and start a new possession. He can't finish under the hoop. He had the worst, before he got um, released by the Cavs, or yeah, I think he got released by the Cavs. Before he got released by the Cavs, he had the worst field goal percentage inside the paint this season. That's bad as a center. That's horrible. They also need better performances from Caruso. Kuzma had zero points. Thanks for rolling out of bed, Kuzma. Dennis Schroeder only had 14. KCP had seven. They need just better performances across the board. With that being said, though, I do still I will still pick the Lakers in seven in this series because they do have LeBron James. And like I said, the Lakers might be on the ropes, but LeBron James has never lost a first round series. And this series, I'm going to say it. This first game of the first round of the playoffs in the year 2021 between the Phoenix Suns and Los Angeles Lakers, in which the Phoenix Suns won 99-90 against LeBron James, reminds me of the 2015 playoffs, the Eastern Conference semifinals, when the Chicago Bulls took Game 1 at the Quicken Loans Arena in Cleveland against LeBron James and the Big 3 Cleveland Cavaliers. And then if we remember that series, the Cavs took game two pretty handily. The Bulls won on a Derrick Rose uh, bank shot buzzer beater in game three to take a 2-1 lead. LeBron hits a buzzer beater in game four, and the Cavs win three straight to close out the series in six games. I could see something very similar happening this series because I still think LeBron James is the best player on the planet. I think Anthony Davis is the top 10 player on the planet. And I'm sorry, DeAndre Ayton. I'm giving you your props for this game. But I don't think Anthony Davis is going to lay an egg that bad 
every game of this series. I'll still take the Lakers in seven, but let me tell you, I don't feel good about that pick, and I think they are on the ropes. And I would, I'll say this, if the Phoenix Suns were playing any other team in the first round of, the, in this, of this playoffs, I would pick the Phoenix Suns to go to the finals. But since they're facing LeBron, I can't do that. I can't bet against the King. Until he, until he shows me that I can bet against him, I can't bet against him. Alright, let's get to one of, my, one of the most fun first round series. Well, uh, absolutely electric atmosphere in this game on yesterday. As the Atlanta Hawks beat the New York Knicks at Madison Square Garden 107-105. It was so awesome seeing 15,000 fans in, at Madison Square Garden rooting for the New York Knicks. You saw Spike Lee in the crowd getting hyped. The crowd noise was absolutely awesome. 15,000 strong cheering on the Knicks. The Knicks haven't been in the playoffs since, what, 2012-13 with Carmelo Anthony. It was so fun to watch them in the playoffs. And I'm, I, I'll say this, like, I, as a Cavs fan, I don't have a dog in the fight. I obviously will root for LeBron, but I, I'll take the Knicks as my team I'm rooting for because they've just been so bad for, like, they've been the butt of so many jokes for so long on this podcast and others. And they're, they're such a fun team to watch, coached by Tom Thibodeau. They're just... They're just fun. That's all I can say about them. But the Hawks take game one behind Trey Young, who had 32 points, 10 re- 7 rebounds, 10 assists, and he hit a game-winning floater with .9 seconds left to give the Hawks a two-point victory. Told Madison Square Garden to, that it was really quiet in there after he hit his buzzer beater, after the crowd was chanting, F.U. Trey, earlier in the game. And he said he shut him up at the end. He said he made it really quiet in there after his buzz, after his shot. The Knicks did take a loss, but they played pretty well. And I think this series is going seven. It's going to go the distance. I have no idea who's going to win this series. If I had to pick who wins this series, I would pick the Atlanta Hawks in seven. Because they have Trey Young, I think, is the best player in this series. And they have more offensive offensive weapons than the New York Knicks. That's why I picked the Hawks. But with that being said, the Knicks could win this series in all honesty. But I'll take the Hawks in seven. But the Knicks did have good performances from Alec Burks, who had 27 points. He was hitting shots left and right down the stretch at Madison Square Garden. Alec Burks. I don't even know if any of you heard of the guy before yesterday, but he was the best player on the floor for the Knicks at times yesterday. Derrick Rose showed up yesterday. 17 points, 5 rebounds, 5 assists. Julius Randle needs to be better. RJ Barrett needs to be better. Those two, two of the Knicks' uh, core core pieces, two of their younger guys. Julius Randle had 15 points, 12 rebounds. Julius Randle needs to, to hit like... 25 points like he, he was in the regular season. He, there needs to be games in this series where he hits above 40 points, which he did a couple times this season. He's capable of it. He was just forcing up too many shots yesterday. That's why the, a big reason why the Knicks lost. And R.J. Barrett, he had 14 points and 11 rebounds. He had a good game for his playoff debut. He's a second-year player. I know I might be putting a little bit of pressure on him, but he played really well on the defensive side of the ball and the offensive side of the ball. He just needs to make more shots. There about there were about five possessions yesterday where I saw R.J. Barrett drive to the basket and miss a wide-open layup. That can't happen. If he makes two of those layups, they win the game. That's what the Knicks. The Knicks did all they could in this game to win. They did all they could this game to win, and they fell two points short. They got beat by the better player, Trey Young. They put in Frank Nilakina, who played one minute. They put in Frank Nilakina, who was cold off the bench. They put him in to 
guard Trey Young in that last possession, and you just got beat. It happens. The Knicks got good contributions from their rookie rookies, Emmanuel Quickly and Obi Toppin. They got good contributions from those dudes too. They just need better contributions from their two stars, Julius Randle and RJ Barrett this series, because I cannot I can say with a certainty Alec Burks is not gonna drop twenty seven points every game this series. I'll take the Hawks to win in seven because I think Trey Young is the best player in this series. I also think they got more options on offense. Bogdan Bogdanovich had the three at the end of the game. The Knicks were up three with one minute left. The crowd at MSG was going nuts. 15,000 people screaming their heads off thinking the Knicks are about to win the game. The Hawks inbound it. It almost gets stolen by R.J. Barrett. If, if it, hit, it hit R.J. Barrett in the back. If R.J. Barrett turns around and steals the ball, the game's over. But it hits R.J. Barrett in the, in the back. Bounces to Bogdan Bogdanovich, who nails the three and ties the game. That was one of the big shots of the game. They also got guys like John Collins, DeAndre Hunter, who can score. Clint Capella, who's been there in the playoffs before. Kevin Huerter and Danilo Gallinari. And Lou Williams, guys who've been there before and who could score. And the the availability of offensive options and Trey Young being the best player in this series gives the Hawks a slight edge in this series and makes me pick the Hawks in seven. And the last series is an interesting one. Grizzlies-Jazz, the one versus eight series in the Western Conference. The Grizzlies take game one. The Jazz were without Donovan Mitchell, but the Grizzlies take game one. Behind Dylan Brooks, 31.7 rebounds. And Ja Morant, the 21-year-old point guard, one of the most fun players to watch in the NBA. He had 26 points. Four rebounds and four assists. And let me tell you, every time down the floor, late game situation, both in the Warriors playing game and against the Jazz, John Morant took the ball, isolation, and hit a floater. His floater and layup package is so deadly. So deadly. And the Jazz knew where the ball was going and they couldn't stop him. They could not stop him. And then the Grizzlies won this game despite... Uh, Valanchunas only scoring 15 points. He had 15 points, 12 rebounds. Despite Jaron Jackson Jr., the most talented player, in my opinion, on the Grizzlies, only had 7 points and 3 rebounds in 24 minutes. Those two dudes can play even better than they did in Game 1, and that should scare Utah Jazz fans. It should. It should. John Morant and Dylan Brooks, the backcourt of the Memphis Grizzlies, they are so, so, so fun to watch. And I don't know. I thought the Jazz would win this series in five games. Right now, I'll take Jazz in seven. Just because I think when Donovan Mitchell comes back, the Jazz will win. But don't be surprised if John Morant and these Memphis brothers take this series. I could see it happening. With that being said, the Jazz did lose this game because primarily because they didn't have Donovan Mitchell. Rudy Gobert also only had 11 points, 15 rebounds. He also fouled out. And besides Mike Conley, who dropped 22, 11, and 6, and Bohan Bogdanovich, who dropped 29 second-half points, they didn't get that much off of an offensive contribution from the normal suspects on their team, like Joe Ingles and Jordan Clarkson. If those guys hit their averages and Donovan Mitchell's on the floor, I don't think the Grizzlies... Can, be, can win this series. I do think the Grizzlies will make it a seven-game series, though. And I just want to give a big shout-out to Memphis for taking game one. 
and just express to you how fun this Memphis team is going to be, both in this in this playoffs and in the years to come. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, MLB update and NHL playoff update as well. You won't want to miss it, so don't go anywhere. Don't turn that dial. We'll be right back. And welcome back to Season 3, Episode 5 of the Jack of All Trades Sports Podcast. Playoff hockey is in full swing in the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs. They're doing a little bit differently this year. Um, so the first round series will be uh, eight best of seven series. They're all played within the four division. So the Mass Mutual East, the Discover Central, the Honda West, and the Scotia North. I guess they're sponsored. <laughs> but anyway, um, so basically, we got we got the Mass Mutual East Division. There's two matchups going on. One of them is already decided. The Bru- Boston Bruins beat the Washington Capitals four games to, to one in five games. Pretty good series, even though it only went five. Three overtime games. The Capitals took game one in overtime, three to two. The Bruins responded by taking game two in overtime, four to three. Game three in, over, in double overtime, three to two. And then they won games four and five, four to one and three to one, respectively. So the Boston Bruins move on to face the winner. I believe this is how it works. Yes, yes. The the Bruins move on to face the winner of the one versus four series in the Mass Mutual East Division. The Penguins, the number one Penguins versus the number four New York Islanders. This series is tied at 2-2 right now. Game five is tonight in Pittsburgh. So it'll be interesting to see. I've watched, I'll be honest, I don't watch the NHL religiously in the regular season because I don't have a team that I root for because there's not one in Cleveland. But when it comes to playoff time, time and Stanley Cup um, championship time, Stanley Cup playoff time, I will tune into playoff hockey because it, the atmosphere is electric. And it's normally, uh, it seems like every game is a one-goal game. So, recapping this Penguins-Islanders series thus far, I'll even give you a pick for the series that aren't decided yet. Game 1 went to the Islanders 4-3 to three in overtime. That one was crazy. The Islanders uh, hit um, a go-ahead goal at 3-2 with about five-ish minutes left and then literally like 30 seconds later the penguins got the equalizer and in overtime the islanders just snuck one in and they won game two the penguins bounced back with a two to one victory game three the penguins took a 5-4 win another crazy game and game four the islanders won four to one i'll give the edge to the penguins in this series i'll take the penguins at seven because a they have home ice and B, because Sidney Crosby, I know people, some people might say he's old and all that, but Sidney Crosby is still one of the top five greatest players of all time, and he shows up when his team needs him most. So I'll take the Penguins at seven based purely off that and because they have home ice advantage. So I expect it to be the Penguins versus the Bruins in the Mass Mutual East Division Finals in the Discover Central Division we got the Carolina Hurricanes versus the Nashville Predators. That series is also tied two to two with, um, and uh, there's the old saying that the the series doesn't start until a road team wins the game. So technically, the series hasn't started because the Hurricanes won both of their games on home ice, five to two and three to nothing, pretty handily. 
And then the Predators defended their home court in Nashville, winning Game 3 in double overtime 5-4, and winning Game 4 in double overtime 4-3. How about that? What a series that's going to be. Their Game 5 is tomorrow, May 25th, and I always like the underdog, so I'll take the Nashville Predators in this series because they're an underdog, because they've won two grueling double overtime games, and I expect their confidence to be at an all-time high going against the Carolina Hurricanes, who probably are thinking, what is going on after winning games one and two pretty handily? The winner of that series, which that series again is tied 2-2, two to two, they get the winner of the 2-3 versus three series of Battle of Florida teams, the Florida Panthers versus the Tampa Bay Lightning. I gotta take the defending champion Lightning in this one. They're up three to one. Um, they won game one, five to four. Game two, three to one. They lost game three, six to five in overtime, but they came back and absolutely crushed Florida on their Florida in Tampa Bay. They beat them six to two. Game five is tonight. I expect the Lightning to close it out in five and face the winner of the Hurricane Predators series, which I just picked to be the Predators. And in the Honda West Division, we have the Avalanche, who swept the St. Louis Blues 4-0. The Avalanche looked pretty good. They won Game 1, 4-1, Game 2, 6-3, Game 3, 5-1, and Game 4, 5-2. St. Louis barely had a chance. And then we got one of my favorite teams in hockey, just because they're, they're a fun team, the Vegas Golden Knights. They're up 3-1 in this series. They lost Game 1, 1-0 one in overtime, but responded taking Game 2, 3, and 4, outscoring the Wild a combined 12-3 in those three games. And Game 5 of that series is tonight. There's a lot of playoff hockey going on tonight, ladies and gentlemen. That one's at 10-30 tonight. I think the Knights will win it in uh, the Knights will close it out tonight in five. And then the Scotia North Division just started pretty much because um, the Canadian season's wrapped up later than the teams that were playing in the United States. Don't ask me why. But in the Scotia North Division, we got the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Montreal Canadiens. That series is tied one-to-one. I'll take the Maple Leafs because they have the better record and they have home ice advantage throughout the series. And in... The other series, we got the Edmonton Oilers versus the Winnipeg Jets. I'll take the Jets because the Jets are up 3-0, and I expect them to sweep. With that being said, who do I think will win it all in the NHL playoffs? Great question. Great question. I know you guys are dying to hear my hockey analysis, <laughs> even though I'm not that big a fan of hockey. I know guys who are huge fans of hockey's, but um, let's see, let's see. Wait, are they in the playoffs? Yeah. It sucks that uh, the the Oilers are going to get bounced in the playoffs because Connor McDavid, uh, one of the best players in the world, is on the Edmonton Oilers. And they have not... They have... And he's... They've been... They're down 3-0. They're, he hasn't scored a point in these playoffs. So that's kind of... That kind of sucks that he... Uh, he, that they're on the brink of elimination, but Connor McDavid, one of the best players in hockey, one of the mo- my most one of the most fun players to watch. All right, let's see who do I have winning the Stanley Cup. We'll take a look into my crystal ball right here. The team I would pick to win the NHL Stanley Cup right now would be. Let's see. I don't know. Let's see. Let's see. I would take the Colorado Avalanche or the Vegas Golden Knights. I would take one of those two teams to win the Stanley Cup playoffs. My head says the Colorado Avalanche, but my heart says the Vegas Golden Knights. I'll take the Golden Knights to win 
the Stanley Cup playoffs because I like the team. I like their gold uniforms, and I think they're just one of the most fun teams in all the sports. So that has been hockey playoffs, some playoff hockey talk. Let's get to some MLB action, and we'll wrap up the show with our joke go to the week presented by Anchor. MLB. I know I've been saying all year the NL East is the best division in baseball, but it's actually the American League East. The Red Sox, Yankees, Rays, and Blue Jays are all above 500 in that division, with the Red Sox going 7-3 and in their last 10 games, the, the, Ray, the Rays going 10-0 and in their last 10 games, and the Yankees going 8-2 and in their last 10 games. It's going to be a race to the finish in the AL East, you better believe. The Rays finally looked like the team that won the pennant last year. The Yankees finally looked like the juggernaut we all expected them to be. And the Red Sox are still hanging around. And I expect them to still hang around throughout the end of the season. And the Blue Jays have Vlad Guerrero, who's hitting the cover off the baseball. And they got George Springer and some other dudes in that clubhouse as well. So the AL East, the big story there is Tampa Bay Rays are on a 10-game winning streak. Finally looking like the team... That was two games away from the World Series last year and should have forced the World Series Game 7 against the Dodgers. They are looking really good. They're 10-0 in their last 10 games. They're playing much better on the road than at home. They're 18-7 on the road. Don't know why that is, but the Rays are fun to watch again. Big big reason is because of their pitching staff led by Tyler Glasnow. They're just really, really, really fun to watch. And so the Rays are in second place. They're still behind the Red Sox by a game. I believe, but they're just really f- a really t- fun team to watch. And ten and zero in their last ten games. Big reason their offensive. I'm trying to s- see who their who their best. Let's see, let's see, let's see who their who has been carrying the load this past week. Joey Wendell is probably their best offensive player. He's hitting two ninety eight. He's got five homers and two um, twenty RBIs. They also got Randy Rosarina. You may remember him from last year. He had he set the major league record for most playoff home runs. He had two two he's hitting two seventy three seven home runs and twenty four RBIs. Pitching wise, I mentioned Tyler Glasnow has been absolutely nails this year. Glasnow, let's read you his stat line. Four and two with a two point nine ERA. He struck out eighty seven batters in sixty two innings pitch. That is awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And then we go to the, the and then the Red Sox, Yankees, and Blue Jays. I can see all four of these teams making a run at the division title. All right, AL Central. So that's been the AL East. Um, four teams I expect to be vying for the playoffs in the division late in the season. AL Central. The White Sox are the best team in the AL Central. They're twenty six and nineteen right now, fourteen and eight at home, twelve and eleven on the road. They have been good, but they just got swept against the Yankees, and they're four and six in the last ten. And let's talk about the White Sox and Tony Larusa right now, because the White Sox beat the Twins the other day. It was like sixteen to one or something like that. They're up fourteen to one. The Twins had a position player pitching, and Yerman Mercedes swung into three zero count against the position players and hit a home run. Tony Larusa, the White Sox manager, after the game said. Yerman Mercedes messed up by swinging at 3-0 pitch and that the, it'll be handled within the White Sox organization, the punishment and all that. I don't like these old managers trying to teach these kids how to play baseball and telling them what's right and wrong. It's an unwritten rule. But I, to that I say, the unwritten rule is swinging 3-0 when you're up big. To that I say, what about 
If you're throwing a position player, aren't you already throwing in the white flag for that game? Why shouldn't a young player in his first year try to hit a home run on a 3-0 pitch against the position player pitching in a game in which you clearly have already given up? And a guy who is not guaranteed he's going to be in the league that long because he is a young player. Sure, he's hitting the cover off the ball right now, but he's still playing for a contract. And he's trying to hit home runs and get good stats. I'm sorry, that's what it is. And then the next day, the Twins threw at him. And then they asked Tony La Russa about that after the game. And he said it was probably justified that the Twins threw at him. That's ridiculous. If you put a position player into pitch, you've already given up on that game. And it shouldn't be bad when someone swings at a 3-0 pitch and hits a home run off said position player. That's ridiculous. Ridiculous. And it's thinking like that that makes baseball unfun sometimes. But the White Sox still sitting first in the AL Central. They're one and a half games up on the Cleveland Indians. Let's talk about the Cleveland Indians. They're 24-20, 11-9 at home, 13-11 away. I'm a little bit worried about the Cleveland Indians. They lost 10 to nothing to the Twins the other day. Tristan McKenzie did not pitch very well at all. Gave up 10 runs. I have 6 runs. About 8 doubles. Should never happen. Should never, never happen. The Indians don't have a legit 4 and 5 starter. They have their top 3 starters set in Bieber, Savali, and Plesak. But besides those 3, I don't trust anybody on the team to start a game and do well. And, yeah, it sucks. But, hey, it's true. It's absolutely true. Franmil Reyes, one of the Indians' best hitters this year, he's hitting 257, 11 homers, 29 runs batted in, is on the uh, the injured list, excuse me. He strained his oblique. He's out five to seven weeks. That's a big loss for the Indians. A team that has already needed, already needed, more hitting, who already needed, I thought, to acquire a bat at before the deadline to even have a chance of competing for a playoff spot. Now they're out with their bit. Now they're out down their big power hitter with for five to seven weeks. They did call up Owen Miller, who went 0 for five in his major league debut yesterday. He was hitting 400 for the Columbus Clippers, so hopefully he figures it out and turns it around and is able to fill in at DH for Franmil Reyes. Jose Ramirez, Josh Naylor, Cesar Hernandez, and Ahmed Rosario are the four guys on this offense that I trust. And Ahmed Rosario, he went four for five yesterday, and he, there's a reason why he's the starting shortstop and why Andres Jimenez is in AAA right now. But Jose Ramirez, two, 260 average, 12 homers, 26 RBIs. He's gonna get his. He's gonna hit his numbers. Josh Naylor is hitting well. Hopefully, he continues that up. I fully expect Cesar Hernandez to hit about 250, and or two. I expect Cesar Hernandez to get his average up to 260 by the end of the year and continue to hit great from the leadoff spot. And Ahmed Rosario has been a nice surprise. Hopefully, he keeps up his good hitting. But they need those four guys to step up. They also need Eddie Rosario to step up and hit like he did in his Minnesota Twins days if they want to have a chance to make it the playoffs. And we look at their pitching as well. I don't know. They got to figure out that four and five starter to have any chance at the playoffs. But the top three of Aaron Savali, Shane Bieber, and Zach Plesac is fine. Savali, six and one with a 3.30 ERA. Shane Bieber, four and three with a 3.32. Leads the league in innings pitched and strikeouts. 
and Zach Plezak, 4-3 with a 4.14. Those three are fine. Their bullpen is fine. I know they lost yesterday in extra innings, 8-5. James Karinczak gave up a three-round homer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The bullpen's fine. I'm not worried about Karinczak, Class A, and Shaw. If you get the game to the sixth inning, if you have the lead with the six, in the sixth inning with the Cleveland Indians after, uh, after the sixth inning with the Cleveland Indians, more than likely than not, they will win the game because of their back end of Shaw, Clase, and Karinczak. So I expect the Indians and the White Sox to be a two-team race for the division. The Royals, Tigers, and Twins aren't making much noise. The Royals have been better as of late. 6-4 and four in their last 10. Same with the Tigers, 6-4 and four in their last 10. But the, the Royals are four games back of the division. The Tigers and Twins are 8.5 and 9.5 and and games back as well. Then we get to the AL West. And I think that will be a two-team race between the A's and the Astros. Two of the best teams in the American League over the past five years. I love the A's. Moneyball, the fans in Oakland are electric. I would give them the slight edge in the American League West division because I like just their, I think they got a better overall team than the Astros this year. And that is what we're going to say about the American League. So that's what the American League's looking like. What about the National League? The National League East. The Mets are still on top by one and a half games, 21 and 19, but the Braves are coming. The Braves are one and a half games back. They're six and four in their last 10. The Phillies, one and a half games back as well. The Braves are coming, ladies and gentlemen. That's a team to watch. But the Mets are in first place. You might be thinking Francisco Lindor has to be hitting better, right? If by hitting better you mean hitting 194, then sure. 194, three home runs, nine RBIs. Yeesh. That's not good. For $341 million, I would expect you to at least hit 200. But the Mets do have Jacob deGrom coming back soon. So hopefully that is good news for them. But the East will be a competitive division throughout the um, through the whole year. The Nationals are in last place at 20 and 23, but they're still only two and a half games back of the, the first place. National League Central, I watched the end of the Cardinals-Cubs game yesterday in which the Cubs won in extra innings off a high year Baez two-run shot to beat the Cardinals. I fully expect the Cardinals to still win this division. They're 26-20 and 20 right now. The Cubs and the Brewers also have a chance at a playoff spot, in my opinion. But the story in the NL Central is not about a team that's doing well. It's about a player that's doing well, and that's Jesse Winker. He's hitting 355 with 13 home runs and 28 RBIs, perhaps the MVP favorite early in the season. Him and teammate Nick Castellanos are setting the league on fire for Cincinnati. Nick Castellanos is hitting 356 with 12 homers and 30 RBIs. That's pretty good. But I would say him, those two, and Vlad Guerrero are probably the MVP favorites besides Shohei Otani, who leads the league in home runs and still has a 2.1 ERA. <laughs> but that's the story in the National League Central. Three teams with the chance at the playoffs, but Jesse Winker and Nick Castellanos making some MVP moves. And then we get to the National League West, maybe probably one of the best divisions in baseball. Three teams within two games of each other. The best team in baseball is the Slam Diego Padres. Slam Diego is back. Fernando Tatis Jr. hit two home runs yesterday, including a grand slam. The Padres are nasty. They're nasty, Phil. They're nasty. They're nine and ten their last nine and one their last ten games. They're thirty and seventeen in the year. The best record in baseball. But they do play in the same division as the Dodgers, who are also 9-1 in their last 10 games. They're 29-18. and 
The Dodgers probably have the best pitching staff with Clayton Kershaw and Trevor Bauer. And then the Giants have been a little bit of a surprise, but I still think they can make some noise at a wild card spot. So that has been our MLB talk. Great, great action early in this MLB season. Before we go, our joke of the week. Our joke of the week is brought to you by Anchor. Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast. Go to anchor.fm to get started today. Joke of the week is Phil Mickelson, the lefty, six under, wins the PGA Championship at 50 years old. Phil Mickelson is the oldest major winner in the history of professional golf. Shout out to Phil Mickelson, one of the greatest, greatest golfers ever, the lefty. He wins the PGA Championship at 50 years old, the oldest winner of a major golf tournament. He will turn 51 next month. The record was previously held by Julius Boros, who was 50, 48 when he won the 1968 PGA Champ- Championship. Mickelson becomes the latest in a growing group of sports stars, including Tom Brady, Serena Williams, Tiger Woods, who continue to um, LeBron James, who could throw him in there as well, who continue to defeat Father Time at least for uh, the time being, and continue to win despite being at a normal retirement age. Mickelson said after his final round, I hope that it inspires some to just put in the little extra work because there's no reason why you can't accomplish your goals at an older age. It just takes a little more work. Shout out to the lefty Phil Mickelson, six under par, the oldest major winner ever. He is the PGA champion. Congratulations to him. And that is going to do it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to follow the podcast on Instagram at Jote Sports Pod. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, be safe out there. Hopefully you guys uh, have a great week. Have a fun week. Do something fun. Do something nice for someone else. And we'll catch you guys with the next episode either this week or the week after. But until then, I hope you guys have a great week. And thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you on the flip side. Jack Bernie, signing off. <laughs>